the dogs For the dogs School School for the dogs For the dogs Okay, Ken, why don't you uh, just go ahead and introduce yourself and your business and we can we can go from there. Cool. Um, my name is Ken McLeod. I have a dog training company in Hoboken, New Jersey called My Positive Pup. Um, you can find us on the web at mypositivepup.com. I am a positive reinforcement dog trainer, obviously, with that name. And I also um, work in the film industry at Saturday Night Live. And to say the least, both of them are pretty crazy businesses. <laughs> so let's let's talk about your your bi- what would you say bifurcated career? Which which came first? Well, and, was, and actually, I, also, are you are you originally from New Jersey? Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Massachusetts. I moved down to New Jersey when I was, um, I guess, a sophomore in high school. Um, became a huge Springsteen fan. Who couldn't? And um, and then went to college to Penn State and came out and went and got into the film industry. I, I really didn't have a lot of interest in dogs until I met my wife, I guess, 14 years ago. And she had a dog named Mac, who is a um, Parsons Jack Russell, who just I completely fell in love with. And um, everything kind of started from there. I had um, trained Mac to be in a couple commercials because I worked in the commercial industry. Um and it all kind of, you know, snowballed from that. We're training him for commercials. Were you doing it with any guidance or just by feeling? Just like, just like he'd have little parts in a commercial, like, you know, pick a newspaper up and run to the door, um, go to the couch and bark at somebody. Um, and it wasn't like I was doing this for work. It's just that Mac was really, really good at it. And at that time, um, Parsons Jack Russell's were very, very popular. So in being in, in the film industry, and around people, both my wife and I, you know, we just knew producers and said, hey, would, would Mac want to be in it? Would Mac, you know, it'd be okay if they had Mac in this? And he'd be like, sure, no problem at all. So that it kind of started that way, accidentally, I guess. Um, but even at that time, it wasn't like looking at myself as a dog trainer. It wasn't until um, Mac had passed. And then we got um, Scooter, my oldest dog right now, who is my special needs child. Um, <laughs> but but I'm curious, going back to Mac, how did you even have any idea how to teach a dog to go to the couch and bark? I didn't. I I, I kind of looked at videos at the time. I kind of read a little bit about it. Mac was really really intuitive on 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 knowing what you wanted, and and it really was easy. It, maybe it was what I was doing. I don't know at the time, to be honest with you. But a lot of the time, it was you know putting peanut butter on the couch, um, standing behind the couch on the other side, you know, moving my hands up and down because we taught him how to bark with the opening closing of my my hand. So that was like one of the things that we did. Um, but it, it did take a lot of peanut butter, like picking up the newspaper, that type of thing, and. Mm-hmm. That's how it kind of started. It was it was strictly accidental, and honestly, at that time, I didn't know anything about you know about positive reinforcement at all. Um, not that I was ever negative reinforcement or anything like that. It um, it just, just none it of just, it had even occurred to you. I mean, I think occurred. I was sort of in a similar. Uh, yeah, I think I was in a similar camp when I first let's say discovered positive reinforcement dog training, where I never thought there were. Um, 
that there were different ways to train a dog. I just thought dog training was just kind of this one thing. Right. And I also think the thing what happened was with Mac, because he was such a great dog. And I always tell my clients this, that like, you know, if, if Mac wanted to go skydiving with me, or if we both decided we wanted to go skydiving, Mac would happily jump out of the plane with me. My dog Scooter right now wouldn't probably even get into the cab to go to the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and what had happened was when we got Scooter, I realized at that point, like, well, dogs are really different. I had no idea. I just thought I was going to get another Mac. Mm-hmm. And um, Scooter was very, very reactive, very afraid um, of a lot of things. And it just broke my heart so much that I, I just said, I, you know, I can't, I can't let this poor guy live like this. And that's when um, wanting to become a dog trainer, wanting to become an, a certified dog trainer um, was really, really important. And in, in it's when I started, when I went into Karen Pryor. How did you make your way to Karen Pryor Academy? You know, I researched a bunch of different places. And one of the things that I liked about Karen Pryor Academy was the fact that you actually had to prove yourself in front of people. Um, it wasn't just an online course. Um, we had four, four or five, I forget exactly what it was, very long weekends and that we had to go to in addition to learning on online. Yeah. And once again, Scooter was the challenge dog of the class. Um, now, were you working with Steve Benjamin? Yes. Yeah, me too. Love Steve. Yeah, I'm a graduate Love Steve. Also. Matter of fact, I think Steve couldn't stand me at the beginning um, <laughs> because I was also just a difficult student. I questioned everything, just questioned everything, questioned everything, questioned everything. And Scooter, like I said, was a handful in class. He, um, you know, because he was fearful, he was around seven or eight other dogs. So it was, it was stressful for myself and for Scooter. But there was one weekend, I think it was the third weekend where it just all kind of connected for me and for Scooter and for Steve. And at that point on, I was just like blown away. You know, it, it just like, it was all coming into place. And what, what was the, what, what made the, everything come together? You know, once again, it's attitude. Um, and I think it's for me, it took some convincing and I think it's the same way with when my clients come to me now, because we all kind of come to dog training, either as like a client comes to me or when I was a client of Karen Pryor, that you need something that just makes it happen. And I remember we had to go up in front of the class and do a few things and Scooter killed it and he nailed it. And the reason why he nailed it was because we practiced and practiced and practiced and it just made sense. And I think what happens to clients of mine is when they come back for their second or third session, or sometimes even in their first, it's a light bulb that goes off and goes, oh, I get it. Everything that I had been thinking of ahead of time or what I thought wasn't right. It was just a, a different way of thinking of things. And one of the big things for me as a trainer that, that I do at, at, at my place is to get people to think differently about training. And what I think, one of the things that I know is we tend to humanize our dogs too much in the fact that like, well, what's the problem? I get it. Why don't they get it? Like, what's the problem? I don't even see what the problem that they're struggling with. What's the issue? And it's like, they're dogs. 
there is an issue. There's a huge issue. And you need to come to figure out and come to terms that they're having this issue and what you can do to actually help them cope better. And um, that's a lot of like what I teach. You know, I, you know, I teach for people to understand, you know, um, being safe and, and having their resource, whatever it may be, food or treats or a squeaky ball or whatever. Those two things are so vital for the dog to survive and how to get people to grasp that. Because like I said, I think just people come from the, the mindset of, well, why can't they just do it? What's the problem? Mm. And I think that's a shame. It's not really what it's about. I think, I think, um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Although it's funny because I feel like I I think more in terms of how can I get people rather than seeing the dog as like a furry human who uh why why can't the furry human understand what I want? Why doesn't their brain work exactly <laughs> as mine right, does? Right, and right. more more in terms of um thinking about what they know about behavior as as a human, as being a human animal and thinking about um, the way behavior works, the way we can understand it as humans and how that might apply. Right. I do a lot of dogs. analogies. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of analogies with, um, with people and having them understand, like one of the big things I'm sure you get also is like, well, how long do I have to use treats for? Mm-hmm. And I tell my clients all the time, you should go to work on Monday and you should tell your employer or your, or your clients that you never want to be paid ever again. <laughs> right. and they go oh got it um but i'm i'm interested in how you it sounds like you went from having a dog that had some issues to i want to be a certified dog trainer um there was there was no um working with a trainer before that or no no, no like model for you know what kind of dog trainer you felt like you wanted to be no, because what happened was, I think when I came through Karen Pryor, as with everything in my life, I just go head head over heels into it. And I was, it was during COVID and um, my phone was ringing off the hook. And I took on, you know, dogs that I felt as though I could take on. I don't take on separation dogs with separation. Wait, I'm sorry. Wait, when you started Karen Pryor, your phone was ringing off the hook? No, no, no. After oh. I got out of Karen Pryor. Oh, but I mean, be, but on your way to Karen Pryor, I mean, th- there was no dog trainer that you started to work with or no sort of realization that like, oh, I don't want to be a, a a compulsion trainer. It's just not who I am. It's just, I I would just never do that. And I think, and I think also too, like, you know, a lot of this comes into play with who I've been my whole life. I think one of the things I tell people all the time is like, when I was a kid, I skied on a ski team and um, I skied slalom. And when we would come through the gates correctly, my coach would ring a bell if you came through the gate correctly. And um, at the end of the run, he would only ever talk to us about the gate that we came through correctly. You know, he never, ever, ever mentioned, you know, what we goofed on and the gates that we didn't come through correctly. And I remember that the ski, my, the, the other kids were in, in the ski club with me, their parents and including my parents were very upset at the coach and said, you know, why don't you tell them what they're messing up with? And he's like, why? I don't want them to concentrate on that. I want them to concentrate on what they're doing well. Mm-hmm. And um I'm a really excellent skier and it's thanks to him. And I think Mm. it's the same way that I went about just my whole career and with Mac and with Scooter and all the dogs that I I work with. It's like, let's look at what they're doing well and really acknowledge that Um, because 
we don't want the bad behaviors or the behaviors we don't want to keep repeating themselves. And uh-huh. so was there a dog trainer in mind that, that did this? No, I can tell you there was a lot of dog trainers who I didn't want to be like Cesar Milan. Um, and well, well, I see, I'm curious. I'm, I think it's interesting and, and curious though, that as someone in the media world where for instance, Cesar Milan is kind of a, a big deal that you didn't just think, well, that's how you train dogs and that's that. I think because being in the media world, I just saw right through it. Um, hmm. I also think too, like that whole thing with the slip lead when he would yank on the dog's neck, it's like, why would you ever get a dog even to do that? I, to me, it just never, ever, it just didn't happen for me. Mm-hmm. And I and I think too, it's because of the fact that, you know, my mom would always say too, you know, you get, what is it, more with honey than you do with vinegar? <laughs> and and I just saw I just saw that through through my life and my career, especially like with going to the film industry, with all the different crews that I've had, you know, I need my crew to to have my back, so to speak. And the only way they're going to have my back is if I'm nice to them. Um, and it's it's happened that way. It's it's especially at Saturday Night Live when I first started there. The, a lot of the guys. The, the, the type of work that we do at SNL or the unit that I'm on is we do all the fake commercials and fake videos. So we don't actually mm-hmm. work at Rockefeller Center. So um, these guys who only ever did work at Rockefeller Center suddenly were now on the road with me, you know, going to different locations and they weren't very great at very good at it. They kept, you know, busting stuff and they just didn't know what to do. So I wasn't about to like critique them on what they were doing wrong. Anything that they did right, I would just congratulate them on and praise them and, I have the greatest crew on the planet. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way that I go about with the dog training and with my clients and so on is during the sessions and so on, I praise my clients when they're doing something great. When they're they're not, I don't really say much. Um, And at the end of the session, I think everybody kind of comes together with, like I said, it's that light bulb moment of, oh, I get it now. I, I get it. This is how we capture it. This is how we grab it. And it just seems to, to work well that way. So no, I never really had a dog trainer, so to speak, that, what do I say, um, inspired me? Mm-hmm. No, no. What was the response from your Saturday Night Live uh, coworkers when you said, I'm going to be a professional dog trainer now? They all loved it and they all knew, they all thought it was a great idea. And I think they also too, because they knew that I was struggling with Scooter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it became something that was really, really good. I, uh, my producer at SNL, um, Mary Pamela also, um, part of the company and she does a lot of the press stuff for us, um, mm-hmm. that we decided what was super important for us so much for us is with the dog training thing, we wanted to get the word of positive reinforcement out and it was a big mission in dog training to do this because I had seen, you know, too much of like the season Milan types, the, you know, the prong callers and all that. And I, and I just, I guess for me, it just was very, very confusing to get an animal that was going to be your best friend and then put a pinch collar on it or to put mm-hmm. a collar on it and to be its boss. Um, I've always wanted, you know, my dogs and to be my friends, not to be their boss. Mm-hmm. So, that's where it kind of came. It, it, it all kind of stemmed from that. I guess it's just because honestly, because of the way that I was, my career and was, you know what I mean? It's like, 
I always did better with let's find a way to get it done than let's try to make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's the same way with, with, with the dog training. How did uh, your producer get involved? Um, she's a friend of mine, Mary. Um, mm-hmm. She um, liked the whole idea of it. I think um, Mary is younger than I am. She um, has a good spin on things. And I'm not very, very good at writing emails and all of that type of stuff. And Mary is really good at it. And she comes from a film background also, like her and her sisters make movies and so on. And I just said to her, I said, let's do this with one goal in mind. Like, let's get the, the, not so much the name of me out, but let's use the fact that I do work at Saturday Night Live as a plus. Let's do, do the whole thing that Scooter is reactive and how we were able to help Scooter and how all of this can help other dogs. And it's really kind of snowballed. It's snowballed more than we had ever anticipated, to be honest with you. Um, and I think also, too, a, a lot of when people, like I said, when people come into the sessions, they want to learn a new way. And television has made made it that we only know one way. And that's the season Milan way, so to speak, of being the boss and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I think when they come in, it's very refreshing for them. It's like, oh my God, I never really thought of it this way. I never knew it this way. And, you know, I, ex- I explained so much to people you know, environment, 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 how important it is to be aware of it. Like one of the things I find really fascinating is I have a house up in in Vermont, which actually I'm at right now, is in the summertime when people have parties with dogs, no one pays attention to the dogs. They're just, Mm -hmm. most of the time people just, you know, the dogs are running around the yard and every now you'll then you'll hear, get out, wait for the barbecue, get away from the barbecue. And that's it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, in New York City, it's it's so different in, in Hoboken too because it's like everybody feels this need to go up and say hello to the dogs and with reactive dogs it's the last thing in the world they want is to have someone come up and say hello to them and when with when people have a session with me with reactive dogs I tell them look you need to get friends and family on board and just let the dog warm up on the dog's time if it ever even wants to. And people come back and they call me like, oh my God, what a difference. The dog's so much better, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, of course it is because your dog's kind of like an introvert. We live you know, in an extroverted world and your dog's an introvert. So not everybody wants to have come up and say, you know, I know I'm the same way. You know what I mean? I don't need to say hello to everybody and I don't want to be saying hello to me. And for those dogs, it just works so much better to let the dog warm up on their time. I get clients so often, my dog hates men, hates men, actually can't stand men, will bite men, bite men, just can't stand men. And I meet them outside of my studio. I completely just ignore the dog or I'll take treats and throw them past the dog, away from the dog. They'll come up in the studio and I'll go over my whole spiel with, with them and all that. And by the end of the session, the dog is sniffing me and really, really good place, but still I've never gone up to the dog. Mm-hmm. just let the dog warm up on its time. Um, well, it, seems, it seems like a lot of what you're talking about is sort of helping shift people's mindset towards thinking about what the dog actually needs and wants and learning to read the dog and try trying to 
see things from the dog's point of view rather than projecting their own preconceived ideas about what a dog, how a dog should be, what a dog should want um, on onto the dog. Does that? Yeah. And I think that's where we get into trouble lots of times, because like I said, it's like we all tend to think that every dog is the happy-go-lucky lab pat me on my head. And so many of them aren't. And being in the city, you know, in Hoboken and New York City and so on, it's it's hard for it's hard for dogs. Like I know when I bring my dogs up here to Vermont, it's completely different world for them. They're obsessed with squirrels and go for it. You know what I mean? Go for your obsession with squirrels. Um, you know, in Hoboken, it's alarms, it's scooters, it's um, e-bikes, it's it's beeping of horns. It's it's a completely different environment that um, can be overwhelming for dogs. And I, when I had lived in the city with Mac. I was always quite amazed actually at him, how loud sirens for whatever reason didn't freak him out, but loud sirens, you know, freak out my dog scooter. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, as you know, city dogs are a diff- quite a different breed, so to speak, than, than, than country dogs. Yeah. Well, you know, I always say, if you can make it, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> it's true. It's so um, true. But we, it is this uh, crazy thing that we're asking them to do, not only to to live in these, you know, often relatively small apartments um, and to spend a lot of time alone, but then to make it so uh, they're on the city sidewalks tethered and having to encounter God, God knows what <laughs> uh, right. outside. Uh, so it is asking a lot, and I think that's something people people really don't appreciate. Um, so, do you have a physical studio now in Hoboken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got um, ten twelve Grand Street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. We do all the sessions in there. Was it like a storefront, or what is it? No, it's it's like an, an artist loft. Um, okay. A bunch of made up a bunch of a different little studios, and we don't do um, classes. It's all one on ones. Um, and it's just, I, I kind of been struggling with the classes. I just haven't found the time for me to do them, you know, with SNL and so on. And um, I know you guys do a ton of classes and I'm very envious of what you do. I'm a big <laughs> fan of everything that you do. I give you lots of credit. Um, but, I, but I think for me, it's like my, 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 the trainer I do have, Lauren does a lot of the puppies and the younger dogs. And I tend to, to do more of the reactive dogs. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, we have really, really good um, success. I had a lady who came in, I don't know, a few weeks ago with a prong collar and a dog. At the end of the session, she gave me the prong collar and she just shot me a text the other day and says, I can't thank you enough, like how much better Sailor is doing since. And I got, you know, I got such a tear in my eye and the fact that like, you know, yay, you know what I mean? That's such good news. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think too that what happens Another one I get really, really confused about is I tell everybody, you know, when you go for a walk with your dog, you actually have to engage it, not your phone. Mm-hmm. You should leave your phone at home um, because too much of what I see anyways is just in life in general is we spend way too much time on the phone, way mm-hmm. too much time on the phone. And why would we get our this amazing creature that just wants nothing to do but to love us um, and to ignore it on walks? I don't even get it. Um, and and the other thing too that I, I see, and I'm sure you see it too, is 
when people are walks with their dogs on their phones, the only time they pay attention to their dogs is when they, the dog does something they, do, they don't want them to do. So while the dog mm. is offering all this amazing behavior, we're on our phones and it's like, oh, you're missing it. You're just missing it. So bit of advice, leave the phone at home. That's... You'll definitely have it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good uh, a good piece of advice. Or if you're if you're gonna use the phone, take pictures of your dog getting it right. Right. You know, I think I I think you you can use the phone as a clicker, really. Yes. To, uh, to you know pinpoint that, those moments. Um, now, are you ever working with dogs? Then, or seeing? I guess you're not working directly with the the talent if you're working on sets. But are you ever seeing dogs on set then at SNL? We did a we did a skit. Um, I guess in the fall it was called Bones, um, and we had some dogs on set. From... Oh, I I remember that it was like a yes. store that sold bones. Bones, right? That was weird. Right. It was weird. <laughs> yes, it was weird. Um, and I remember we had some dogs, but the, the, all the dogs they, they're all good. They come from a couple of different um training people that we use, you know, animal wranglers as they so to speak them, and um they're all treated really, really, really well. Um, there mm-hmm. is no, you know, nobody's ordering the dogs around or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's really good. One of the things I did want to just bring up um, was for me, I guess it was last spring or a year or so ago or whatever. Um, I'm sure you know of her, Kim Brophy. Oh yeah. Uh, the I, Yeah. I saw that, that you did the legs program. Yeah. Tell yes, me about that. And, and I have to say, honestly, it has been a game changer. Um, and if anybody has not read the book, meet your dog, go it's read a, Meet your dog. Excellent. Excellent book. Yeah. A, amazing book. And I think um, for me and for my clients, I, I tell them, you know, you had mentioned the fact that it's like about dogs spending all this time in their crates at home alone and all that. And, and so much too is what I tell people. It's like, you know, you have to understand, even if it's a mutt, you know, what are the, the types of breeds that your dog is made up of and how important it is to understand what their needs are of that breed. Um, the, the other one that I'm really, really big on is, um, is enrichment. And I think, you know, you just can't walk your dog in the morning one afternoon walk and then one at night and think it's enough. It's not nearly enough. Um, you know, going to parks with 15 foot leads or 16 foot leads and letting them sniff is so crazy important. And I tell people too, it's like, remember when you go for a walk with your dog, it's for your dog. Um, it's not your walk. It's the dog's walk, as I try to say. And I tell people, if you're in a rush and your dog doesn't really walk well, don't take your dog along because you're just going to frustrate you and your dog. But one of the things that that we try to do, my wife and I, is every single day when we're in Hoboken is to take the dogs over to Liberty State Park with like these really long leads and just let them take us on, as I'm sure you know, the terminology, sniffafaris. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really good for them. And I can see how much it's helped them. And when I tell people this and, and explain, you know, go take your dog on a really beautiful walk out in a park, just not around you know, smelling concrete and let them sniff and sniff and sniff and see if you notice any difference. Like, Oh my God, what a difference it's been. Mm -hmm. It's like, of course it is. It's the same difference when you either ski on ice or you ski on powder. So, um, yeah, you know, a a lot of that is, is, is crazy important for, for, for people. I, I often recommend, especially people with smaller dogs that they train the dog to be okay going in a bag because sometimes you really do just need to get your dog 
somewhere or yes. you're yes. you want to bring your dog somewhere and uh it's you know you your dog might not be able to keep up with you <laughs> um right. so it's okay i think to have walks that are really for your dog yep. and also um have walks you know where you maybe have an agenda and then also have an agenda in that you need to you know get get your dog home or get to wherever you're going but also then have sort of that other option if i'm talking specifically about city dwellers because people who aren't in cities you know can throw their dog in the car maybe right um but as as someone who's had a dog in the city now for many 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 years um it's certainly it's certainly been a, a game changer when i when uh for for so many for so many reasons to be able to put my dog in a bag and take the subway take a cab take it's funny you say that because when I lived in the city with Mac, we had like, you know, one of those LL Bean tote. Oh, yeah. The, the boat and tote. Yeah. 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 And mm. we would put Mac in that all the time, get in the subway. All right, Mac, get in the bag. And he'd just jump in the bag. No problem at all. And we would take him around the city like that all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, he loved it. He, he, he loved it. And it's funny you mentioned that about the bag. One of the other things I tell people, especially with young dogs, is getting them socialized and so on. As they say, take them to Home Depot, bring like a mat. <laughs> throw it in the shopping cart mm -hmm. and push your dog around Home Depot and Lowe's. And the clients who do always call me back and go, oh my God, it was so great. It was so wonderful. He just likes it now. And you know, and, and all of that. So I, it's like a tip of mine to like get the dogs out and get them used to seeing certain things, but where they still feel safe. Yeah. 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 But during the pandemic, I, I suggested that people go to like parking lots of somewhere like Home Depot. Yep. At least you're seeing like lots of lots of different kinds of people carrying weird stuff. Yep. Yep. It's funny because <laughs> Mac used to, um, whenever we would drive by, I don't know if it was just something I would notice or not, but it always seemed as though there was a Home Depot sign. He'd always like pick his head up. Are we going in? Are we going in? <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about legs? What, um, it, what it what it is as since you've done the program and what the program is you know what the, the, the what it did for me so what, what it did for me with the legs program for me is it gave me a whole new way of understanding how dogs learn well and let's let's go back what does leg stand for for someone who knows knows nothing about it it learns for learning environment genetics and self mm -hmm. and um the part that hit me the most, I guess, is when I am in Hoboken, it's environment. And when I am in um, Vermont, it's not so much environment as, as anymore as it is learning. And I, I don't know why it is. It just happens to be that way. But one of the things I spend a ton, a ton of time on with my clients is having them understand that like every city block you go down is completely different for the dog. And it was kind of when we went back to the beginning of this, this conversation about humanizing our dogs is every block is different for the dog. It may be the same for us. And because every block has a different sound or doesn't have a sound, it, it, we may not notice it, but the dog does. So where, where people I think struggle with, with the whole environment thing is, is having you you got to really be aware of the environment. And I don't think, honestly, what I have seen is people don't even consider the environment. And um, and that's what I try to get across to people so, so, so much is be able to understand that environment. Because people will tell me all the time, like, like dog will come to an intersection and not want to move anymore. Mm 
It just wants to stay there. And it's like, well, give it a moment to absorb. Give it a moment to actually understand what is going on before you hurry it down the street. And so for me, like I said, what I got so much out of the legs was having the dogs be understanding what safety is and how important it is for them, understanding the environment um, and understanding how they learn and how each dog learns differently. I mean, I could talk about legs all day, which we just don't have the time, obviously, to go on and on and on about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, it was it was definitely a game changer for me in in being able to help people. And, and especially like, you know, I have clients up here in Vermont, which I don't go over the same stuff with as I do down in Hoboken. We're up here. How, how do I explain it? It's not they don't have the noises that that we have down there. So what I tell people not I don't want to sound repetitive is the environment plays so much in a dog's learning and especially in a city environment and where we need to be so aware of this. Like I wish we had eyes out of the backs of our heads, especially with reactive dogs, because if you're not aware, your dog's going to fail. And being acutely aware of your what your dog is going through because of the environment will give you so much more success. And that was mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. big thing for me, as I said, that I took away from legs having to have having teaching city dogs mm-hmm. now is it a real-time course is it video it's a video or? it's it's kim brophy it's it's a it's a really really super 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 long video there are quizzes and so on inside of it mm-hmm. but it's a whole bunch of stuff that i never even would even have considered before i'm a, you know i'm obsessed with ethology now mm-hmm. where i never was in the before in the past obsessed now with dogs needs because of the, who they are with breeds and so on. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with when people come in of really kind of, you know, breaking it down and going, well, you know, so much of what the behavior that you're having with your dogs right now is because your dog's not getting what it needs as a breed. You know, my youngest one is a mini Australian shepherd. Her name is Jersey. And, you know, she loves to come up in my ankles, you know what I mean? And all that type of stuff. And, and I have, Many Australians seem to be very, very popular, at least in Hoboken now, in how people say, well, you know, my dog does this and wants to like herd all the time. And it's like, well, you have to give give the dog the, a job to be able to do that. You can't just ig- ignore it, so to speak. So mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. that's what I tell them. It's like, you know, you got to give the, the dog something to do. So like one of the things that we do with Jersey is she just loves to constantly like be hurting and hurting and hurting. So we bring her favorite squeaky toy, which is a worm with us mm-hmm. on walks. And we take it and we throw it on the ground. Like, go take, go take. And she goes and gets it. And she feels really big, big girl about it. She picks it up and she'll run with her, with her worm. So it's, it's worked with helping her being able to so-called herd things. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And ever since we started taking the worm with us on walks, she's been really, really, really great. Where before she was constantly, I guess, looking for something to herd. So th- those are the type of things that I try to tell people. It's like, you know, you got to look for what your dog's built for and incorporate it. Like, you know, with, with retrievers, it's like, you don't play ball with your dog. Like your dog's like going crazy. It needs to have that. So th- those are the things that we, that I got out of legs mm-hmm. that has helped. I think a lot of clients understanding what the dogs actually need. Yeah. And, you know, you know, not to, to get all, you know, like predatory sequence, modal action patterns, you know, and all that type of stuff that no one even thought about before, where I think the legs program has helped me help clients in having their clients and having my clients understand, look, your dog's just being a dog. You can't yell at your dog or scold your dog for what it's actually built to do. 
if someone's listening to this and just interested in getting into dog training, maybe at a professional level, what do you suggest that they, they do first? Um, go to Karen Pryor. Say that. <laughs> okay. Go to Karen Pryor. Go, go to at least a, a program that is, is certified that covers a lot of bases. I think, you know, for me so much of, and I know you too, is when I look for people to come work at the company, they have to have a certification Mm -hmm. or or be willing to come to the company and get certified while at the company, because it's, it's something that you're not going to get elsewhere, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things too, that has surprised me as a dog trainer is how emotional it is. I've been quite surprised by that, to be honest with you and how, um, and I wish there were times I could have had cameras set up all over my studio where, you know, suddenly the client just starts crying and it's like, Oh my God, I've been doing this all wrong and all that. And it's like, yeah, you know, you just haven't been doing it because you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely more emotional than I had ever, ever, ever dreamed of. I don't know if you feel the same way. For me, I feel like it's emotional in ways that goes beyond dog training. Like um, I have family that uses shock collars on their dog and multiple, oh. multiple types of shock collars and, their dog attacks other dogs and they see neither thing as a big deal and they don't understand why I can't like they think I'm like holier than thou about it all um and don't understand how it's all so upsetting to me yeah it is very upsetting one of the things I've actually started doing on Instagram to be completely honest with you is like anybody who uses the prong of the shock and all that stuff I just block them I can't even deal with it um I I try you know I for me is if I see people in the streets and so on I'll go up and kind of talk to them and say hey I'm a dog trainer you know if you ever want to get a lesson you know if they're using a prong collar and so on you know you know come by I'll gladly talk to you and all of that and and I do get people who come by and I've actually acquired quite a collection of prong callers given to me, which has made me happy. But I just still to this day, just don't understand how people get an animal and to inflict pain on it for training. It's, it's unbelievable. One of the other ones too, that I tell every client that comes in is I always tell them, look, on your dog's most smartest day, when the clouds have parted and the sun is shining rays on your dog, it's equivalent probably at best to a two and a half year old toddler. Um, and they all kind of go, oh. And it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a two year old toddler. And like, you wouldn't be putting a prong collar on a two year old toddler, now would you? Hmm. And they go, oh yeah, right, 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 right. and. The other thing too is that I tell people is, especially people come in with, you know, I have a dog who's six months old or a year old. They're not really walking well on a, on, on, they're not walking well on the leash. And I'm really frustrated and all of that. And I tell them all the time, and how many years did it take you to get good at algebra? Mm-hmm. Oh, and you're still not good at algebra. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. And especially like when we're asking them to walk on a leash in this like super crazy environment. Right. And one of the other things too, is I have to say that I got to from the, back to the Kim Brophy thing real quick was she, she might have a really good point of like, you know, animals are, are captive are our captive prisoners. If you think about it, um, we, we keep them on a six foot lead. We tell them where to walk, when to walk, who to play with, when they're playing with it or with their dog. We, we are basically their captives. We, we are there. They, they are hundred oh, percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and when 
if you think of other dogs who live in you know South America and so on, who aren't captive animals and how they've had to adjust in the fact that those dogs have to cope and they have to be friendly to survive um, because they're, they're scavengers and how our dogs are just so different in what we do with them. It's really, really, really hard for, for domestic dogs. I mean, it's, it's, it's nothing that comes easy for them by any means, you know, especially like leash frustration and all that. It's like, you know, this is something in an enormous change for the dog. And um, that's where the course also too helped out quite a bit with the, the Kim Brophy course. It was, um, like I said, stuff that you just didn't really think of before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It changed a lot of what what I, I I the way that I teach things. One of the things that I tell people all the time is one of the things we don't teach is sit. And and and, and I always kind of give this analogy. You know, if you're walking down a dark alley and you're about to get mugged, and out of nowhere your mother comes and tells you to sit. It's like, are you insane? I'm flipping out of my brain right now and you want me to sit? This is insanity. So what I tell people all the time is, you know, if your dog is showing signs of fear, showing signs of anxiousness, the last thing you want to do is put them in a sit because it really puts them in a really vulnerable position. And I tell people to also, you know, that if you're at a concert and here comes your favorite musician out on stage and you're jumping up and down and you're all excited and you're about to go into a dog park, about to go outside on a walk, whichever it may be. And your parent is, your mother is sitting there screaming at you saying to sit. It's like, are you crazy? So one of the things that we teach is what I call easy, where we don't have to go into a sit. We're just easy. We're okay. We're cool. We can Mm -hmm. get out of here. Let's not worry about it. I got this under control. I know what's going on. Let's move on and get out of here. So I don't teach sit. You know what I mean? I, I look at sit as, and all my clients will tell you, it's is for fun. Sit should just be for fun. It shouldn't be for a behavior. You do this behavior before you get that behavior um, or before you get this. To me, it doesn't even make sense especially with reactive dogs. It's like, you know, you know how you you know the whole rule with that, you know, distance is your best friend. So at a distance, you know what I mean? It's like, look, you can stand and I'm going to, you know, click and treat and say, good. Yes. Good, good, good. You're nice and easy. This is what we want. This is easy. This is easy. And it's the same thing with my dogs up here, like in Vermont where I'm at right now, before we go outside, I don't tell my dog, sit at the door. You must sit before you can go outside and chase a squirrel. It's like, let's just be easy for a moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. We're easy. Now go ahead. So for me, that's like really important. And one of the things also too, that I got out of that course is, you know, understanding yet again, what the dog needs at the time. If the dog's, you know, we don't want our dog to go over threshold, obviously, but at the same time too, it's like, I don't expect the dog to sit. It's just, to me, it doesn't even make sense. So there you go in my philosophy on sit. I think, I think people are weirdly obsessed with sitting and, um, it's weirdly obsessed. That's funny. It's true. And also I actually, um, I just recorded a podcast episode about how, uh, how frustrated I get when people approach a dog on the street or in any place really where they don't know the dog and suddenly they're saying, you know, sit, shake, whatever. Right. Or it's like, right. you just met this dog. <laughs> Isn't it nice that the dog is just existing in front of you and perhaps a, like call it an easy way? Like, isn't right. that enough? 
Right. <laughs> Why does the and dog have to have their butt on the ground? It's like it's like our own, it's like this default way we have of controlling an animal by thinking like if we know where its butt is. But the the reality is that it ends up with people leaning over their dogs in an awkward way, not making the dog feel comfortable, doing wild hand motions with their hands, saying sit, sit, sit over and over and over again. Like who's benefiting from any of that? Right. And it's kind of brings me back to the question you would ask me a while ago about what dog trainer I had kind of liked that got me guided along the way. And I think the only dog trainer was honestly, it was being an introvert um, myself. And I think, you know, I brought that to the, to the dog training table where it was like, well, what is it that I like and don't like? And I think it just made sense for me. You, you know what I mean? And in, in, in understanding that with, especially what dogs want, because there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't really like. And I'm sure the dog would be the same way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, anything we didn't cover that you think is worth, worth going over? No, I just want to say I'm a huge fan of yours. I think what you're doing in, in the city is amazing. Um, oh, thank you. I have nothing but the utmost respect for you and what you guys do. And I wish you all the best of luck. And I hope someday we can actually meet. Yeah, me too. And if you if you ever want to teach classes for us, I know your schedule is a little all over the place, but you can And vice versa. Know. If you ever want to come to Hoboken, I would love to have it come to Hoboken. Okay. Well, let's keep yeah. in touch. Thanks so much. Do you need some help teaching your dog where you want him to pee or poop and when? If so, I hope you'll check out our brand new totally free house training guide. You can find it at schoolforthedogs.com house. It's filled with lots of really good tips on how to train a dog to potty in the right spot, but it also is going to explain to you how to teach your dog to do it on cue. So go check it out. Schoolforthedogs.com slash house. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com and you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app. Just visit schoolforthedogs.com community.